invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it again to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, this morning in verses 40 through 45. Mark 1, 40 to 45. And as you make your way there, uh, one more uh, announcement slash reminder uh, and that is that beginning to, today, during our Bible study hour, if you're not yet a member of First Baptist West Albuquerque and you've been thinking about becoming one, we'll be holding the first of a three-part uh, class called Membership Matters, and we'll meet right here in this room. So if you want to know more about what it means to be a member of First West, if you want to uh, become a member of First West. The first step is to go through our Membership Matters class. We'll meet the next three Sundays. It's a three-part course, and so I invite you, please come. Uh, we'll meet here in this room. So after worship, you can go grab you a cup of coffee, stretch your legs a little bit, and then come back in here, and we'll meet during our regular, regular Bible study hour. Um, uh, again, Membership Matters today, right after uh, worship this morning. In Act 5, in the first scene of his play Macbeth, which if you know the bard Shakespeare, you're not supposed to say the name of the play out loud. It's the Scottish play. It's often thought to be cursed. In Act 5, scene 1 of the Scottish play, a story of intrigue and deception and contrivance to assassinate a king. The story begins with uh, Macbeth, one of the generals of King Duncan of Scotland, hearing a word, a sort of prophetic word through three witches that he would become king of Scotland, goes and conspires with his wife, Lady Macbeth, to make it happen. The two of them work together and so come up with a scheme to have King Duncan assassinated, and he is, and Macbeth, as the witches foretold, becomes king of Scotland. As the play goes on, Macbeth and his wife, Lady Macbeth, have to continue in all sorts of uh, untoward and unseemly actions in order to maintain their power. They have to kill a lot of people who know a little bit too much or are too close to knowing too much. And over time, the death toll begins to take its toll on Macbeth and on his wife, so that by Act 5 in the first scene, Lady Macbeth is up in the middle of the night sleepwalking. And she, in her sleep walking and sleep talking, observed by a doctor and a handmaiden who are there to serve her, because this lady is a hot mess at this point in time in the play, they hear her walking through the hallway, wringing her hands and saying, Out! Cursed spot! Out! Seeming to see blood on her hands. There is no blood actually there, but the guilt, the Knowledge of what she has done in conspiring to kill the king along with her husband is plaguing her such that she's walking in her sleep and trying to wash blood off of her hands. Here's the smell of blood still, she says. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Lady Macbeth, toward the end of that play, demonstrates uh, for all of us the very real and lasting stain of sin upon our hearts and upon our consciences. What Lady Macbeth needs is not to wash her hands of blood. There is no blood there. What Lady Macbeth needs is cleansing of her conscience, forgiveness of her sins, pardon for what has been done, which she will not in the course of the play get. Nevertheless, we know what her need is. Her need for cleansing is a need 
that is not noticed just by the bard, Shakespeare, but her need for cleansing, the way that sin plagues her conscience, is a reality uh, that is before us always and has been clear and obvious, demonstrable throughout human history in all sorts of people, in all sorts of stories, no less the Bible to be sure. Where can we go for cleansing like this? Last week in Mark uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 21 through 39, we saw Jesus' great healing power, His authority uh, in the way that He preached and taught and also healed people. This week we're going to see Jesus' authority to do something else, not just to heal, but to cleanse. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, we see that Jesus' power and authority goes beyond mere healing to encompass the restorative effect of cleansing. Cleansing from sin. Cleansing from ritual uncleanness. Friends, the main idea for us from Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45, which I wish if Lady Macbeth were real, I could point her to, is this, that Jesus does far more than make you feel better. He has authority to make you clean. Let us understand this morning that the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, has authority and the desire to cleanse sinners. And knowing this, let us run to Jesus with joy for our cleansing. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading His Word? Mark 1, verses 40 through 45. There we read, as Mark continues in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this biography of Jesus. A leper came out to him, came out to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus does more, friends, than make you feel better. He has authority to make you clean. I love these five verses of Mark's gospel, and I have over the past uh, several days, just been reflecting in wonder and awe at the person of Jesus and what he does in this passage, the power that he demonstrates. And I, I hope, I hope that by God's grace, I can give you just a little bit of the wonder and joy that is present in this passage that I have experienced this week also. As this event, as this scene in Jesus' life opens, He's met, first of all, in verse 40, with a desperate need. A desperate need. As we come to this passage, we have immediately some sense of the great need of the man that is opposite Jesus here. Mark tells us he's a leper. Not a leopard, but a leper. One afflicted with leprosy. Now, when you think of leprosy today, we often think of what is properly called Hansen's disease. Leprosy in the Bible, though is a more blanket term for all sorts of skin diseases. Hansen's disease among them. Hansen's disease is the one whereby a 
through a bacterial infection, the, the skin, the flesh, the nerves, uh, uh, all sorts of parts of appendages and extremities of an individual become infected and become necrotic and sometimes fall off. Leprosy in the Bible is sometimes that. It's sometimes just other chronic skin diseases. Whatever the case is, this man is afflicted with it. Whatever his leprosy is, he's got it. And not in a treatable sense, not in a temporary sense. His is a malignant and a chronic leprosy. If we were to go back to earlier books of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, if, you, if you've been reading your Bible through in a year or trying to read the Bible through in the year, you might be stuck in Leviticus right now, and fearing you'll never get out of it. If you go back and read Leviticus 13 and 14, you will see a lengthy uh, treatment of, a lengthy instruction for people, the people of Israel, about how to handle other folks with leprosy, with any of a number of skin diseases. There in Leviticus 13, you'll find that if someone had a leprous disease, whether temporary or chronic, they were declared unclean until the infection had healed and gone away and then they could be restored to the community. But until that time, they were declared unclean. And if someone had a chronic leprous disease, like this man in Mark chapter 1, a skin disease that will not go away, they were required to live outside of the camp. They would have to wear torn clothes. They would have to keep their hair unkempt. They would have to cover their face. And any time someone may have come within earshot or eyeshot of them, they were to cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As a warning to stay away from their potentially infectious condition. Leprosy is a big deal. This idea of cleanness and uncleanness especially the designation as unclean, this label upon the leper being unclean. It's all over Leviticus. It doesn't have to just do with lepers and, and people with skin diseases. It has to do with all sorts of issues. As this, this, this concept of cleanness and uncleanness develops in Leviticus, you know it, you're stuck in it right now in your Bible reading plan. God is revealing to His people through this concept, this idea of cleanness and uncleanness, that Cleanness and uncleanness is really a picture of something deeper. To be clean or to be unclean is a picture of the deeper reality of holiness or unholiness. Those who are clean, as we read in God's law, are able to enter the house of worship of God among His gathered people. Those who are unclean may not. The leper was designated unclean until his leprosy was gone, until it was inspected and verified by a priest. And then after a period of at least eight days of waiting and ritual washing and sacrifice to God, then he could be declared clean and re-enter the camp and wear normal clothes and fix his hair and then worship. Until he was cured and declared clean by the priest, though, the leper's place was outside the camp, away from family, away from employment, always a danger to others removed from the very presence of God, and sometimes literally rotting away with no hope of rescue. A desperate need. In this way, leprosy becomes a visual picture of something far worse than bacterial infections or a little bout of psoriasis. Leprosy is a picture of sin. And it's a picture of sin's primary results, separation from God and ultimately death. 
With Adam's sin in the garden, both disease and death entered the world. So when someone dies or is afflicted with a dread skin disease like leprosy, they are declared unclean because the visible manifestation of humanity's fall is upon them. Death and disease is obvious in them. The sign of the fall is all over them. Because God is holy, whatever is unclean may not enter His presence. More still though, if a person was declared unclean, no one else could touch them or would touch them. Because if they did, they would also become unclean as well. This is why lepers had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Anytime somebody who was not also afflicted with leprosy came with an eye shot or ear shot of them. So you see the man's desperation, don't you? I hope. In Mark 1, 40, a leper came to Jesus. An unclean man. A man cut off, secluded from his family, physically broken with no hope in sight, and worst of all, excluded from the presence and worship of his God. And it's this desperate man who has the absolute audacity and boldness to approach Jesus, not to run from Jesus, not to hide from Him, but instead to run to Jesus, to fall on His face before Him and say, if you will, If you want to, if it's your desire, you can make me clean. This man has nowhere else to go. His condition, his leprosy is incurable. His life is otherwise unsalvageable. He has at this point literally nothing to lose. He is the definition of desperation. And at the same time, he is the very image of faith. He comes boldly to Jesus, yet humbly falling on his face before him. And with all belief that Jesus can heal him, he says, Lord, it's not an issue if you can make me well, only a matter of whether you want to. If you will, if it's your desire, you can make me clean. You can rid me of the Disease that's eating my body away. And more than that, you can get rid of the stain of of sin and the fall on my life. I am plagued by all of the results of sin in the world, of living in a broken creation. It's all over me. But Jesus, if you want to, you can get rid of all of it. The man asks for more than just to be made well. He doesn't say, if you want to, you can make me better. He asks for more than healing. He asks for more than a a mere therapeutic improvement of his situation. He knows that he needs more than healing. He needs cleansing. Ritual, ceremonial, spiritual cleansing. This man with nowhere else to go asks Jesus not just to make him better. He asks Jesus to make him clean. To take his leprosy and give him health and with it life. If he is made clean by Jesus' hand, he can be with his family again. He can go back to work again. He can see his friends again. Friends, he can worship God again. If you will, you can make me clean. This man's leprous desperation, brothers and sisters, is more than an event in Jesus' life. It's a picture of the very real spiritual state that all of us stand in before God because of our sin. Rebellion against God in our hearts, turning our back to Him, defiantly defining our own rules for what is right and wrong and good and wicked is a leprosy of the soul. 
Sin tears apart families. It exploits the vulnerable. It takes and takes and never gives. But worst of all, it requires our removal from the presence and source of life itself. Sin requires our separation from the one holy God. And all of us are sinners. All of us are spiritual lepers. We're all in a place of total desperation. We each, whether you talk about it out loud or not, we all know the guilt of sin, the way that it eats at us. And as much as our culture tells us that a good dose of therapy can help you feel feel a whole lot better about it, we know that what we really need is not to be made to feel better about our sin, but what we really need is what this leper needed, to be made clean. To be made clean. This leprous man is us. He's a picture of us in our sin. And we are desperately need, in desperate need of cleansing. The question for the leper and the question for us is whether there's a Savior who is able and willing to cleanse. That's the question. There's a desperate need in this seen in Jesus' life. And that desperate need is met by a willing Savior. Verses 41 and 42. Now here's where the story gets really wonderful and really beautiful all at once. Jesus, Mark says, is moved with pity for this broken, torn up, rotting man. The way Mark describes it is as a a gut-wrenching kind of compassion. And then Jesus gutted over this man's situation, Jesus does the unthinkable, the unconscionable for a Jew of his day. He stretches out his hand and he touches the leper. Understand, no person, Jew or otherwise, of sound mind and reasonability would take the risk of touching a leper. Today, if you went into a a developing country where there are still some diseases like this that ravage whole populations, you would not go into a community ravaged by leprosy without some personal protective equipment, a mask and goggles and gloves and maybe even a, a, a whole biohazard suit because you don't want to be infected with a disease like this. And this leprous man with all of his contagion ravaging his body, laying before Jesus, never touched in years probably by another person now has jesus reaching out and touching him for anybody to touch a leper would risk physical contamination of course and infection but for the jew like jesus it would also make them ritually unclean jesus would be by touching the leper Separated from his family, from his home, from the city, from worship in the temple or the synagogue. What Jesus is doing in touching the leper is not just ill-advised, but unthinkable. And he does it anyway. And then, with his hand on the leprous man kneeling before him, Jesus answers the man's question. If you will, you can make me clean, Jesus says. Oh, I will. I want to, I desire to, is what Jesus is saying. Be clean. And immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately this scene hits its climax as the man is made instantly whole, 
cleansed of his leprosy. In the presence of this man's desperate need, we learn much about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. One, we see that he has compassion on the needy. He is gutted over this man's desperate situation. Second, we see that Jesus does not wait for the sick to be well, to step into their mess. This man has the audacity to come to Jesus for for healing. Jesus has the audacity and the boldness to touch the man ever before he's made well. Third, we see that Jesus is willing. He wants to. He's desiring to make this man physically, physically well and far more to make him ceremonially pure. Understanding that the leper is the person that we are meant to identify with in the story. We come, to understand that the profound, we come to understand the profound and glorious beauty of Jesus the Savior to sinners. One, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, has compassion for sinners. He's gutted over the desperation, the desperate spiritual state of sinners. And because Jesus is the very image of the invisible God, we read that from Colossians 1. 15 this morning, we can know that God has compassion for sinners too. Jesus is not the only compassionate one toward the broken. God in all of His perfection, Father, Son, and Spirit, in every part is compassionate toward sinners. Yes, our sin is of gravest offense to God's holiness. I'm not here to make light of sin today. It's bad stuff. Our sin, our every sin is of gravest offense to God's holiness. But our sin against God does not sour God's stomach toward us, His created image bearers. Instead, we find that God grieves our sin with sadness. He grieves the reality of our separation from Him by our sin. God is not pleased that we have broken fellowship with Him. He's broken over it too. He's broken for us. Compassionate for us. Wanting to redeem us. We learn also that Jesus does not wait for you to prove yourself worthy to be saved. In the same way that Jesus risks the appearance of becoming unclean by touching this leper, so also has God in Christ not waited for humanity to clean up their sin problem before coming near to them. In Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, The holy and inapproachable God who created the universe comes near to humanity. And friends, He doesn't come after we have cleaned ourselves up, made ourselves healthy. He comes when we are still eyeball deep in our sin. Jesus does not wait until you've cleaned yourself up to come to save you. And we see that Jesus, the Son of God, Praise the Lord is willing to save. He's willing to save. For the person who knows their great need of salvation, for the person who knows that God is able to rescue us from sin, it is the greatest of comforts to know that God wants to save undeserving sinners who can do nothing for themselves. It is one thing to know a God who can save. It's another thing altogether to know a God who wants to do it who delights in saving, who takes joy in rescuing spiritual lepers and making them clean. And how does He do it? How does He save those who need it? He does so by bringing His anti-corrupting holiness to reverse the effects of sin upon the heart of the one who needs saving. How does Jesus make the leper well? He touches him, 
before he was ever healed, and then says, be clean. In touching this man, contrary to what everybody thought would happen or would take place, Jesus does not take the, 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 the uncleanness of the man, does not infect Jesus, but rather the holiness and cleanness of Jesus infects the man. God in Christ has come near to sinners in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our uncleanness, in order to make us clean. He takes our uncleanness on Himself and gives us in in substitute, gives us from Himself His own cleanness. Here again, the words from the prophet Isaiah about the suffering servant who would do this for sinners. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. Jesus, a suffering servant king, brings all of His anti-corrupting holiness to bear upon the unholiness, the uncleanness of our sin, and gives us His righteousness. Peter, the friend of Jesus, apostle, writes in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, He Himself, speaking of Christ, bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were once straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There is a willing Savior for those in desperate need. His name is Jesus. This morning, friend, you must know. You must have a real knowledge of your desperate need for cleansing. And not just from leprosy, but cleansing from sin, cleansing from rebellion against God. And you must be willing, like this leper was, to come to Jesus to receive it. Do you want more than therapy? Do you want more than just to feel better about the guilt of your sin? Do you want more than just to be made well? Do you want to be really cleansed? Sin taken away, expunged from your record, paid for in full so that there's nothing left that you are responsible for. There is a way. The answer is through Jesus, who in His body paid the debt of your sin on the cross, taking all that you owed a God that you could never pay, paying for it in His death, and in exchange giving you His righteousness, His cleanness, His his perfection and right standing before the Father that you can receive by faith. The question, if you want cleansing, if you know it's what you need, is whether or not you'll bring all that you cannot pay for to Jesus that He might. Will you bring the sin that you cannot wash from your own hands to be cleansed by Jesus. You who struggle with pornography, will you come to Jesus for cleansing? Not just, not merely just seek to feel better about it or to, to help yourself sleep at night from the lustful thoughts you entertain over other men or other women. Will you bring your sin to Jesus and say, if you will, you can make me clean. To you who struggle with addiction, substance abuse, who have dragged your family through hardship and maybe even abused relationships among mother or father or other family members to get something from them to fuel your addiction. You who know you need healing from that, but more than healing, you need cleansing of your conscience and your soul. Will you come to Jesus for cleansing? Cleansing. 
to you who are slavery to who are slaves to what you think other people think of you to you who live every moment checking social media to see how many likes you have and how many people saw your last post and how many dislikes you have and what do they say about me and what do they really think of it to you who cannot go a moment without thinking what other people think about you will you come to Jesus to be cleansed to find your identity in him and not in what other people think of you but in the one who made you to bear his image in the world to you who walk with a heart that despises your parents for whatever reason will you come to Jesus to be cleansed to be cleansed of sin against your parents to be cleansed of wrongful thoughts against them to be made right with them and made right with God? Will you come to Jesus in the thick of your mess and in all of your uncleanness, not trying to do anything to clean yourself up and simply come before Him and lay your life in humble service and submission to Him like this leper did and said, Lord and King of my heart, I know You're willing. Now I am too. Make me clean. Save me. Forgive me. Change me. Give me life. We all stand before Jesus with a desperate need. And there's good news. He is a willing Savior who comes to you in the middle of your worst sin, lays His hand on you and says, I will be clean. But friend, you must come to Him. You must come to Him. We all have a desperate need. There is a willing Savior. And as this passage closes, we see in the man who was healed and made clean an uncontainable joy. The scene begins to wind down in, in the last three verses here. We just saw last week where Jesus told a demon not to speak about who he was. And now here Jesus tells the former leper not to say anything about what has happened, but only instead to go and offer the proper worship and the proof of his healing to the priest according to the law. Go do what you're supposed to do, Jesus says. Now in doing this, Jesus is again seeking to avoid gathering crowds who only seek miracles. Don't go tell people what's happened. I'm not looking for that kind of press here, buddy. But Jesus is also demonstrating and saying, go to the temple, offer what you're supposed to, show the priest that you're clean. He's also demonstrating that what he's doing is not separate from God's revelation through the law in Leviticus. But what Jesus is doing is in perfect step with what God has already said. As Jesus will say elsewhere in Matthew 5, 17, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so here he is in showing here he is showing that his desire to fulfill the law until his sacrificial death which is the cleansing sacrifice for sins and his resurrection that it is right to follow all of God's instruction. Until that happens, healed leper go do what God requires you to do. But this man doesn't do what Jesus asks him to do. He blatantly disobeys Jesus. Jesus says, "Don't tell anybody." He goes and tells everybody. Instead of doing what Jesus asked and remaining quiet, this man goes with uncontainable joy to tell everyone what has happened to him. Now this morning, I'm not going to try to justify this man's disobedience to the Lord's command. He was disobedient. He should have done what Jesus told him to do. The right thing to do was to keep it private and to do what was right. But at the same time, we can understand why this man is erupting with joy, can't we? His whole life has been restored. He was cut off from family, and now he can hug his mother again. He was poor and destitute, worse than disabled, and now he can go back to work. 
He was shut out from the worship of God. And now he can sing with the throngs and pray and revel in the Scriptures with his people again. He was, for all intents and purposes, friends, dead. And now he's alive. His disobedience to stay quiet. Again, I'm not excusing it. He should have been quiet. But his effusion of joy is a precursor. It's an example of all of the joy that is meant to fill the heart of the one who has received the better cleansing from sin by Jesus. This man gives us a picture of what all of us who have been cleansed of sin by Jesus ought to do. So here's a principle for us, Christian, that a real experience of God's grace and cleansing from sin, it results in joy and holy gossip on the highways and byways about the wonderful, exorbitant, anti-corrupting, totally healing holiness and grace of God. Notice too, the price of this man's joy and freedom. What did it cost him to be made clean? Not a thing. It cost him nothing to going from being a slave to his disease and an outcast to, to now being a free man and alive again and to enjoy life and community again. But it cost Jesus something. This man's healing cost him nothing, but it cost Jesus his freedom. The homeless, outcast leper now has a home and a life and freedom again. But in his joy, Jesus becomes the one who can't go into towns openly anymore. He's the one who has to go about in desolate places. He's the one who in some ways trades places with the leper. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 tells us this, that God made Him, made Christ, who knew no sin, who had no need for cleansing, to become sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus performs the great exchange. His righteousness for our sin. His freedom for our slavery. His life for our death. What a Savior who is willing to take our sin. What a Savior who is willing to take our shame to give us the joy of the Father. Christian, what is your joy in Christ? What is your joy in speaking about Christ? In gossiping in a holy way about the Jesus who is willing to save you? What does your joy in Jesus say about your knowledge and experience of Christ? Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty about struggling to share the good news of Jesus to sinners who need cleansing. No, but I am saying that a genuine experience of God's grace in forgiving our sin as we trust in Jesus should lead to joy in Christ and should lead to proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. It may be that you lack joy, even for all your church going, because you've never seen your desperate need for Christ's healing. And you've never fallen in faith before Him to receive it. It may be that all of your church going and all of your getting dunked by a pastor and all of your tithing have all been in an effort to make yourself feel worthy of being cleansed. Or worse, an effort to cleanse yourself of sin. To you who are miserable in church and joyless in Christ, I invite you today, lay your life in humility before Jesus to be cleansed of sin today for real. Know the joy of cleansing, not by doing religious stuff, but by coming to Jesus, the willing Savior. A good many non-Christian 
and a good many so-called Christian alike lack the joy that comes. I'm not talking about just happiness in your situation, but joy that, that gives you hope and gladness of heart despite circumstances. So many non-Christians and so-called Christians lack the joy that comes with a conscience that's been cleansed of the guilt to, uh, of the guilt of sin to stand in unabashed worship for God because they think that they somehow need to atone for their own sins. I can't be happy in church today. I've got sins to fix, don't you know? Some of you in this room are joyless Christians. Some of you, hearing my voice, call yourselves Christians, but you don't know the joy of a cleansed conscience because you're not really a Christian. You've not really trusted Jesus. You've not, re- you've not really brought all your mess and laid it before Him without any effort to clean it up on your own and said to Him, if you will, you can make me clean. Some of you are pretending. Some of you think that to be a Christian is to show up in church and to tithe and get dunked by a pastor. Forgetting that to be a Christian is to submit your whole life to Jesus, the Son of God who died for sins and was raised again. Some of you lack joy because you haven't come to Jesus to say, make me clean. You've come to Jesus with all your good stuff and you've said, here Jesus, I'll pay for that. Here's my tithe, I'll pay for my forgiveness. Here's my church attendance, Jesus, aren't you happy with me? I prayed for someone in Sunday school today, that gets me something, doesn't it, Jesus? If this leper had any desire in him to make himself well before coming to Jesus. Jesus would have passed on by and he would have kept his mouth shut knowing I'm not good enough yet to ask for help. But praise God, this leper shows us something we all need to know, that he in his desperation understands there's not a cotton-picking thing I can do to fix my situation. So I'm going to do the only thing I can do fall on my face with all of my mess and all my disease in front of the only one that I know can help and say, help. And in an instant, the compassionate, willing Savior laying his hand on this broken man says, I will be clean. And the man is instantly made well, exploding with joy because of what Christ has done for him. If you are joyless in church today, If you are joyless in your sin today, I invite you this morning to know the joy of being cleansed by a willing Savior. I'm not going to heap more guilt on you. I'm not going to heap more shame on you. What I am going to say is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus with all your desperation. He is willing. Stop pretending. Stop trying to prove yourself worthy to be saved. Come to Him who is not only willing to save, but glad to do it. John the Apostle writes in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the question. Are you, like Lady Macbeth, plagued by the cursed spot and stain of sin upon your heart? I have good news. I have good news. Jesus does more than make you feel better. He has authority and power and willingness to make you clean. Two questions should echo in our minds as we come to this truth from Mark 1, 40 to 45. One, have you come to Jesus for cleansing? And two, if not, 
What keeps you from being willing to receive cleansing today? If you receive this cleansing, then live. Live in the command of the resurrected Christ not to be silent, but to be a joyful, Holy Spirit-empowered witness to His cleansing power. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of response, a hymn we already sang earlier this morning, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. And in this song of responses, we sing it in worship to God and reflection on Jesus, the rock who was broken for us, for our sin. I invite you, lift your whole heart and worship to God this morning. You need to come to Jesus for cleansing today? Does today need to be the day of salvation for you? I'll be standing here at the front, just to the side. You need to pray. If you need to seek God, seek Jesus for the cleansing that only He can give, come talk with me this morning. Let's make today the day of salvation for you as you come broken and desperate to the willing, able Savior to be made whole before a holy God. Let's pray together and ask God to lead us to respond uh, as we would.